You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Oh, well, ladies, welcome to the Road to Wisdom podcast. We have Molly, Natalie and Michelle and the three of you all form Midline Revolution. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this because it's um, all about oral ties, fascia and movement and just kind of looking at things from a different lens um, when it comes to oral ties. And if you're a parent, you've probably heard of this many, many times. Tongue um, ties. And tongue ties, cheek ties, posterior yeah. ties. What yeah. else do we call it? Oh, we've heard it, heard a lot of nice. it. Yeah, everything. Um, so I initially came across Michelle a few years ago. Um, she was talking about things from a different light that I haven't heard anyone speak on before. Um, and you've been in the dental industry for, I'm guessing back then it, I, when I heard it was 25 years. So I'm guessing closer to 30 or more years now. Um, and whenever I look at your Instagram, I'm like, she's got so many hats on. This woman is doing so many different things. I can't really keep up, but I know it's all really good stuff. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to maybe start with just who you are, Michelle, and your your experience um, of getting your own oral ties revised as an adult and kind of what happened there and um, how that came to you kind of looking down a different path for how we're treating this. So, you know, I think what that did for me in the big picture was wide in my own lens because pre-release, I was your typical provider who actually promoted the correlative sequence of what could happen, you know, if ties remained untreated, right? I was that girl. I was that person. I sold those cases, right? And just for our listeners who haven't experienced this or don't fully understand, what is the current um, medical way of treating a tongue tie the the narrative is that these are um cells that do not stretch they're collagen cells that migrate to the midline and they do not stretch and so therefore they must be cut in order to get functionality of the musculature related to the bone and full muscular function of the lips, the cheeks, the tongue, and to create the potential through muscular movement of a correct dental occlusion. And therefore also the jaw relationship that creates space in the oropharynx behind the tongue, which is the entrance to the airway, the lower airway, right? So that's your, that's your, like your, your big picture. And so the, the whole narrative related to tongue tie today is, is that there's oral dysfunction that is related to this non-stretchy collagenous tissue that's required to be cut in order for the pieces to move. That's the narrative, right? 
And so what, what that did, I, I fully investigated that whole field. I helped create a lot of the, the um, sequence of care that's used globally now in integrative care. I helped create that years ago. And what my own journey did was it was a pattern interrupt for me because I was doing everything that was known to be done at the time. And when my frenum was released, what it set off in me was a full neurological collapse that ended up in a ruptured appendix, a collapsed lung, sepsis, and near death. So what I experienced was the positioning of my nervous system at that time, when it caved in, it had no place to stop. There was no structure, there was no uh, uh, back pressure valve or, or anything for me, it was, it was gone. And that's just mostly a reflection of where I was not resourced as a person. So in my language, I call it too many drains and not enough gains. And so when I was let go to function, I didn't have the power to pull that function off and regulate my nervous system. So everything just shut down. And what that taught me, it was, giant, it was a giant pivot for me, but what it taught me was that the narrative that we have now actually fits into a larger perspective a bigger timeline that really needs to be considered when we engage with, with this very simple procedure, but very powerful result. So now what I do is I help practitioners like understand this and be able to check their, their clients, their patients, and address everything that can be addressed before someone actually chooses to do a surgery. Mm -hmm. So it's not, and a lot of people get this confused because they'll say, well, it's this or this, but I always say it's this and this. Where does this narrative possibly fit into your scenario? Does it or does it not? Let's go in and resource this child. Let's resource the parent. Let's get conscious dyadic moving going on between the mother and the child, get them open and flowing and stable and, and um, pushing, you know, from the inside out and grounded and all those other things, and then reevaluate the function and the tissue and see would this child benefit from it and then present it as an option. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the best sales technique is urgency. Yeah. Right. And let's, let's dive into that because I think, um, I personally haven't experienced any tongue ties or mouth lip ties with my kids, but, um, I've had a lot of friends who have, or even they've just had colicky babies and, uh, a doctor's said, oh, well, it could be a back tongue tie that you can't see, but the, this is what's making them upset. Um, and there is like this urgency to go and get surgery, like, and that seems to be the mm -hmm. only option that they're given. So can you, can you speak to that, like why they create that urgency? Um, and I guess what would happen if you left it a little longer? Well, let's presume that there's not an it that we know of to leave, right? 
So when, when, and one of the things that I teach practitioners is functional exam. So we're not just looking at the anatomy, we're looking at everything it's attached to. We're looking at the nervous system state and the resource, available resources that that child has on board to be able to unfurl and open up and move in dynamic ways. So the, the, the thinking right now is that that tissue is keeping them from doing something. But our experience is, and my experience with working with thousands of babies is that the ability to move is there. It's just, do we know how to elicit it? And then is there a, is there a, um, a, a, an ability to create the power to run the system, most of it's a power deficit. And we talk about that in the mm -hmm. course is how to identify that and how to create power in our children so that they're not overcome by some transient type tissue, but then their nervous systems can differentiate between, oh, this is a dehydrated, collapsed, tight tissue. And if we, if we get hydration going and movement and flow and energy in it, then it's going to start to loosen up. And then we can actually tell if there's tissue that's not going to move. So there's a differential there we can follow. But what happens now is that we've, we've, we've eliminated the possibilities of variables. And we're like, nope, that's a tie. It must be cut. And then what we're doing is going ahead with surgery in the, in the larger picture and, and cutting it. And then what happens is these kids have no ability to open and expand and get really dynamic with it and actually create their own trajectory. A lot of them just collapse into themselves because the brain wasn't sending the information to the frame and there's no power behind it. And we Go have ahead. to remember too, this is, Michelle always says it, the tongue tie world is an industry. So it's a moneymaker. It's mm -hmm. very expensive. And so certain practitioners and providers create their entire practice based on releasing these ties. So if they have a baby in the chair, from their lens of what they know, they think I'm helping this baby. And they may see a difference if they do the release and what the baby's looking like right before they come in and what the baby looks like when they leave but they're not following the baby. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what will happen is the baby will do fantastic for the first 24 to 48 hours. And then afterwards is when you see the crumbling and the falling into themselves and if they're not prepared. So this, whatever provider it is, they think that they're doing a service, but they're not there for the follow-up. So, so they don't see the fallout and what happens in the long run with a lot of these kids. What is happening in the long run? for these kids who have been revised multiple releases yeah they'll go back and have it done three and four times mm. they'll be forcing into all kinds of therapeutic modalities with no end in sight parents don't get really free of all that until they get autonomous and then you go into the dentistry like you know, yeah. your young ch child is in braces or in expanders or in all of these appliances when they're nine years old, mm. and we, you know, and now the industry has grown to where we can put palatal expanders in infants. Now we can do that. It's crazy. And so, and I'm not saying it's good, bad, right, or wrong. Mm. I'm just saying that what, what's happening is when we don't empower parents to participate in their child's experience, 
and become educated consumers because they know how their child's body works and the energy system works and they know how to create, you know, dyadic movement together and use the power of mirroring with their baby and themselves, then they're constantly outsourcing to other people that eventually all of that's, it's, it's going to come to an end. It's not going to actually get them to where they belong. And we know this because like when I'm when working with craniofacial orthodontics, I've got, you know, tracking kids that have had amazing craniofacial orthodontics, but yet they will not necessarily always get rid of all of the symptoms or they might relapse. So once the, the treatment's over, then the collapse takes on over after that. And it's can't maintain it. they can't maintain it. They don't have the power in their body to support those changes. And that's a big deal. And that's one of the things we address in the course is educating mothers and families, the partner, how to move their children, how to resource their children, the things that are available to them, the fact that tongue tie release is not emergent care. Natalie mm -hmm. says this all the time. She's like, we need a solid feeding plan. We need some options and we need the ability to give them time to co-create this movement so that if there is a release done, they at least have a much better chance at opening into the trajectory than just collapsing onto themselves. Mm, well, that's interesting because I feel like one of the biggest calls for a release is breastfeeding troubles. So I feel like parents are... You know, especially if you're probably in the obstetrics or the midwifery care or whatever it is where you, your baby gets weighed every other day and they're like, it's not, you're not hitting them up, you're not getting there, your baby's not getting enough milk. It's, you're clearly like, there's a problem. I think it's a tongue tie or their baby's really fussy. And I think that's the urgency. And so the parent's like, panicking. Oh and my God, create. my baby's not putting it in any weight. They're not, they're not going to, they're not thriving. And so they go and, you know, they go down this path. And I kind of feel like, that's a tragedy because maybe we like if only we knew that there were options. I'd love to just quickly point out what you guys have said that and this is a take home in just so many areas of the medical system. We are consumers and it is an industry that makes money and it is something that we like changing your mindset to believe it that way rather than they are the authority figure and we are this weak, passive, no clue, people. no clue pe people. Yeah, that have to just follow along with the the fear mongering and the the rush to do surgeries. That there is money behind this. I feel well, like that's an excellent point about fear mongering. Mm. Not all practitioners are fear mongers. Mm -hmm. So a a practitioner in their integrity is going to hold that standard of empowering the parent and putting choice in their hands. That's the way, when I was in the dental office, that's the way we practiced. Mm -hmm. These are your options. These are the things I'd like for you to do to prepare your child. Let's also use this as a differential diagnosis. You know, if we can get this moving and this happens and this begins to open and the nervous system begins to change, I don't really think that this is a true, you know, formulation of tissue that would require to be to be cut. 
Um, if we, you know, if we can hydrate this and get it moving and all of that, I think it's really more in the neck. It's really more in the hips. It's really about how they're, they're breathing or not breathing at the breast that's actually creating the tension. Let's work on that. And, and they're like, the practitioners we want to find, isn't it? That's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah doing they're assessing the breathing they're assessing the body posture at the breast just because there are symptoms doesn't mean there's a tie mm-hmm. and so the way I teach practitioners is how to suss that out and and put things where they belong not just lump it in as a reason to say oh well there's all these symptoms it must be a tie no there's a physiologic there's a functional there's a morphologic assessment that goes with uh, fully knowing like what this child is bringing to the table. So whenever these guys get a baby, the first thing they're looking at is does this body move in a way that allows this child to breathe well and feed well, because kids will sacrifice feeding to breathe. It's a competition. So we have to decide like, is this a breathing dysfunction because of a postural issue? Was there a, was there a tough thing going on in the birth that's really created a restriction in the body that's not the throat? Um, these guys know I'm real big about cranial base, the cranial base and how you look at the jaw. Everybody's all concerned about the tongue, but nine and a half times out of 10, when we get that cranial base to where in the cervical spine to do what it needs to do and get the jaw to do what it needs to do, the tongue begins to loosen up and soften and then finally get into its motion and it's connected to the pelvis. So knowing all of those things mm. make, makes it so much more pleasant. Mm. And we also know this because whenever we get kids that have had multiple releases, that when we go in and we start teaching a mom how to do inversions and we start helping the baby unfurl and we help the mom with her stability, then things begin to shift mm. right before our eyes, yeah. right before our eyes. It was interesting. Yesterday I was working with a mom um, who her baby is very restricted and they are trying to avoid a release at all costs and really great family. But when the baby latched on, it was fairly painful in the beginning. And I was like, okay, can we try one thing real quick before we re- like relatch her? And I got in her hips, which is what I had learned from Michelle and literally moved her hips a couple inches. And the mom goes, Oh, oh, that's, that's still longer so much better. Yeah. And she's like, I have no pain right now. Wow. And it's like a lot of people would look at that and they would look at the structure in her mouth and say, yes, she is, she's tied. That needs to be gone. And all we did was give her some more space. We opened her up. We never even had to relatch her. The baby fixed herself when her hips were open, her chest and neck. Came the throat open. opens mm. the jaw. This I is so that. interesting. Yeah. Mm. Cause for the people who will listen to this, um, who have a newborn and they are struggling with breastfeeding and that's their like I've got a problem and they're obviously not in Hawaii and they're not blessed to be in distance to you guys that can perform this work in person like what should they like what's something that they can do or be looking for so the course (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna pump the course everyone do the course immediately plug 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 month and we'll we'll yeah we did this in community last Mm. uh, last month we're like okay let's invert your baby and the new mom in the group we walked her through it and said do this do this put your hand here move your body this way and just walked her straight through it and she was like oh my goodness Mm -hmm. you know it was 
unifying moment of mm-hmm. empowerment and freedom and stability and the angels saying, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, this, ah, you know, it all just came together. Planets lined up and she went, yeah. oh my goodness, yeah. this is phenomenal. And I'm like, yes, it's phenomenal. You know, yeah. have your moment. It's totally interesting that you actually mentioned before that the body will do anything it needs to do to be able to breathe. And I, I recently saw, I think it was probably even yesterday, I saw a, a little thing pop up because the first time I ever reached out to you, Michelle, was because of my daughter. And I'm, I'm sure you probably don't remember the conversation because it was literally years ago. But um, I'm going to use the story as an example because I always do because I find it so helpful. But basically like when she was around two years old, she just developed mouth breathing. And I was like, alarm bells, what's this all about? And then I noticed she had raging, massive, like massive tonsils. And then I later found out she had really um, restricted nasal passage with massive adenoids. And I was just like, what is going on here? Because I hadn't really noticed it up until that two-year-old point. Like she definitely had a hard time breastfeeding at the start, but she was my first baby. And I was like, I just don't know. I just don't know what I'm doing here. I think this is just hard because far out, I have no idea what we're doing. And like, you know, I've got no support here. Anyway, persisted and breastfed her for like several years. But it wasn't until then that I noticed a problem with this area and we kind of did so many other things. We did like um, oral facial myofunctional therapy, like tongue exercises. Like I had her doing these weird breathing things like multiple times a day, which as a three-year-old, she was just not interested in doing it. It's like a, it's so stressful just even trying to engage with that type of thing. Um, and then we, tr- we had so many appointments with so many different like professionals who'd figured it out and just to no avail change um and her breathing became so bad she develops like a sleep apnea and snoring and just like started to get lethargic. like I could just tell like her little spark was just slowly kind of diminishing and then every time I spoke to somebody about like my functional therapy they're like you have to get a release and I was like or you have to get her tonsils taken out and I was like it just was a whole body no but also I'm desperate for change here so I ended up getting her um, ties released. And by the way, we'd done like Cairo and stuff from birth. Didn't do anything for us. Don't know if it's because it wasn't targeting the right thing. Um, And now that we've done that, almost instantly after her release, where her little lip one was released, her tooth has like aggressively started decaying. And I took her to the dentist and they were like, oh, this would have happened, this has been happening for years. And I was like, no, because prior to her release, the dentist said she had perfect teeth and no decay. And then as soon as we released, that happened. And yesterday when I saw that post, I was like, whoa, whoa, her tooth is almost like nothing left. And this is a matter of like way less than a year. And so that just connected to me. I was like, okay, she's desperately trying to breathe because none of this has helped. The purpose of all of this was to just help her breathe and nothing's helped. And now she's started a bio block expander, not working. And I'm, so I'm like, okay, well, what is it? Because we're obviously missing something and all these people, all these professionals, they're missing the picture and we can't just cut and snip everything. Because it's not you know, it, the, the narrative that we're following now is that if we go in and we make the macro airway larger, that somehow that's going to give more space to breathe. I take a very, very, very different approach with this because these same things, like I was that kid when I was a child, right? 
the open mouth posture, the large tonsils. And interestingly enough, all of that appeared after, after a traumatic event. Our family lost everything in a hurricane. And the next year, my school picture looked like that kid, right? Completely drained, tra traumatized, just living in a moldy house. I mean, the whole thing, right? Not that yours is. I'm just saying that it was that, it was that quick for me. And um, what I'm noticing about the kids is that we have to back way, way up and teeth are crystals. They're crystals. If we're, if our teeth are beginning to uh, decay and um, erode, then that tells us that, that the demineralization, the low pH, all of the systemic metabolic pieces are, are compensating so hard that we're literally collapsing. We're falling apart, right? And so now we're, now we're at a level where the recovery effort, effort is massive. There's, there's so much, and that's why courses like Corey Malloy's Freely Rooted course are so beneficial. We just launched Rooted Families. Um, so you might get some information and, and what you need out of the Rooted Families um, community course too. And I say that to everybody because you can go and get appliances, but it's not going to change the metabolism. It's not going to change where, how you're, you're it's not going to change the family ecology. It's not going to change the patterns that are happening at home that are actually a resource to the child. Now, I'm, I'm not projecting that onto you. I don't know your situation. I don't know. But what's happening is the symptomatology, even out of very different situations, are similar. But what's unique and specific is that child's biology and ecology, and that's what has to be uniquely addressed. Mm. That specificity there. It's very specific. It's almost like tribal in a way, right? Um, so the, the amount of resourcing that has to come on for that child to actually begin to engage is enormous. And this is why if you followed Molly's Instagram, she's had Kua in the water since he was two weeks old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She the told ocean. me, she and, and, and we're, it's an ongoing thing. Like, you know, she's like, why? He's not, he's not tanning. I'm like, you're missing this. Go get that. It, and, and we're constantly working on his body. She ne he never sits still. He's always, he's always moving. He's always moving. She hands him to me. I'm, wor I'm working with his body. She's doing the same thing. She's doing the same thing. We're all like, we're like this tribe, the village, the village that's like, you know, bringing all the pieces in for him. And these are the pieces we talk about in the course too. But the question becomes, when you resource a child, it can't just be for a certain amount of time. Like I see some of these Instagram accounts where they're like, spend 30 minutes a day outside. I'm like, no, baby, that's probably not going to be enough for your child. So live you're going to you're gonna have to live outside and you're going to have to reevaluate your whole damn life. You know, that's just, you know. it's always the and way. So it's, not, it's not a prescription. It's a specific, it's a specific to you kind of thing. Right. But if you, unless you know what you're looking for to know how to calibrate that, you might miss it. You might go into you might you might go into the um, the uh, prescription language of that. 
the fix it, the fix it mm -hmm. language, we call it. And I want to say too, something else too about language. And this is what really makes Midline Revolution unique is what we've done is we've created a whole other language around what parents are experiencing because the language of taking a diagnosis out of context for a child feels very ab abrasive and warlike and it feels very rough and it doesn't feel loving and it doesn't feel kind. It elicits the emergency. It elicits the, the behind brain to just light up and, and do anything that it can to fix it and make it stop and go away. And that's not a livable approach. So in Midline Revolution, we use very different language around what we're talking about so that we can begin to calm down and we can actually recognize where we have our power and we can begin to do those things like at least take a step and then take another step and take another step. And the people who have done that have literally seen their lives change in short order by knowing what those calibration points are. And when they're finally hitting those restorative resourcing um, thresholds, let's mm -hmm. call them a threshold. Yeah. And knowing what they want. And knowing what they want, so who once, they are and where they are, what they want for, as a family. And once they get what they want, then what? They get more. Yeah, they yeah. get more. They can so ask for more. Continuing that. So and what's we, happening now is parents don't even know that you know, all they want that to do is stop and go away. Mm -hmm. But what they don't know what how to do is turn around and face and go for what they really want. A lot of parents don't even know how to say, I want vitality for my child. I want, I want um, radiance for my child. I want my child to be full of the spirit and full of themselves and full of life and love. They don't even know how to ask for that because they're so focused on what's wrong. Mm -hmm. so parents have especially mothers have this like feeling of a something that they're doing right mm -hmm. like if there's an issue going on they think like what can I do differently if your baby's gassy what can I eat differently and I always mm -hmm. tell moms like food like throwing away food out of your diet is the last thing that I do with a gassy baby because as a new mom you are already so strapped and you're just trying to get any food in your mouth. Like you don't want to think about like not getting certain types of food. You're, you're trying to just survive and keep up. But what I noticed a lot of these moms want, like the midline revolution approach, you have to be tough. It's simple things that you have to be tough and you have to be willing to not just go for the silver bullet because the silver bullet is really never a silver bullet. Mm -mm. There's always, it might, it might have the appearance of making a change quickly and then something comes up later. A few people, it might just work out. And then they're like, oh, it worked out great for me. And mm -hmm. that's awesome for them, but that's not the story for everybody else. So with this approach, moms are always like, they're wanting to do, they're wanting to do like, what can I do to help my baby? And this, what we talk about is almost a way of being. So you're not doing things to your baby you're being with your baby and you're slowing it way 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 down because mm. when you have a provider say your baby has a class four tongue tie like you need to go get it released the alarms go off mm -hmm. and so we don't even say that we we say it without saying it in certain words but we really want the parents to actually have their own their own power 
to make up their own minds. Because if, if you're putting on this like emergency kind of feeling of what's going on and you brought up earlier, like if the baby's not gaining weight, well, well, those providers are probably not asking about the birth. They're not asking if the baby had or the mom had a ton of fluids in labor. They're not asking if the baby had any resuscitation after birth. All of those things can affect the way a baby feeds. It's not just a tongue tie that might be the reason why they're not gaining weight. So we're trying to like really like take a step back mm, and like yeah, but it's it's hard to be still, right? And mm. to wait well, everything that's true healing is hard. It's really looking at it and evaluating everything and not expecting, here's the pill, here's the snip. You guys are good now. Have a good life. Can I ask, when when people do get their baby's tongues revised, what is the percentage of that actually working and it following through to a good result? That depends on who you ask. <laughs> I'm but asking yes. you. <laughs> Because they they have a they have a ninety nine percent success rate. Mm, of course they do. Mm-hmm. Just asking a, an obstetrician is there such thing as birth trauma? Because if they admit it, they have to fix it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ask a tongue tie surgeon what their percentage rate is. Hundred percent, great mm-hmm. result. Never have any problem. Mm-hmm. So there's a very well known tongue tie provider that says, if I create the wound, I have to initiate I have to give the instructions for the wound care okay in our world if somebody's going to do a tongue tie release they're not responsible for the habilitation and the recovery so they don't know what's happening you know past the immediate post-op check period yeah right and Mm -hmm. however however some some doctors don't even do post-ops they don't even do wound checks right? Shame on them. I just said that out loud. Shame on you. Many doctors are doing a release the day that they see a baby. The baby has an appointment, you get the functional release done. And they're not, they're doing it without a functional exam, without without a feeding exam. That happened to me recently where they use, I guess like you could go kind of the fear mongering thing. And this mom was there for a consult and the doctor said, well, our schedule is booked six weeks out. So we can just do it today. So they make it seem like, oh, you're here. You might as well do it today. And she did it and came in and told me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, it was hard because I'm like, whoa, that baby wasn't ready. And it doesn't mean that the baby's not going to have a good outcome, but it means we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. yeah. It's and- hard because, sorry, it's hard because they, like these professionals, unfortunately they sell the end goal to be 100% positive and my personal experience of being so concerned about the stories of the negative impact of just leaving it or trying to figure out like I've spent years trying to figure out like what is the cause what do I need to change like what's going on here but then when doctors are like your baby's gonna get leukemia or your child is never going to be able to learn properly or you're you're actually putting your child in such great dangers by waiting any longer and I guarantee you if you get tired or I guarantee tongue tie release or I guarantee you if we do the rapid palate expansion that you're going to have a good success so let's just do it. I've heard the story too of like oh your baby might be feeding well now 
but it they've definitely got a tongue tie. And if you leave that until they're a little bit bigger, if you leave it until they're three months or six months, they're not going to feed well anymore. So we can release yeah. it now. And I just talked to a baby that was, or a mom, her baby's eight months old, has known oral restrictions, top and bottom, eight months old, and he's 25 pounds, exclusively breastfed. Yeah. So, so to make those kind of generalizations, you know, I mean, there is, there is evidence in the literature now. They created a study, you know, to, to demonstrate that, that right, <laughs> RCT for the win, not really, but, you know, this is what we have in, in, you know, imperialistic, scientific, Eurocentric, westernized medicine, right, is the gold standard of the RCT. So um, if an RCT says it, then now it's, God's voice, literally. Just for everyone listening, an RCT is random controlled trials. Oh, ran, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, random controlled right. trials. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> it <laughs> sounded weird when I said it. <laughs> now that if you wait past four months that breastfeeding rates go down, you know, is that is that is it true for 100% of the people? Obviously not, you know. There's so much nuance um, that there's obviously being missed as yeah, usual. Yeah, you know, I'll just go ahead and say, you know, like, some people would say about me, oh, well, she's against the surgery. No, I teach a surgery class. I teach doctors. She's taught us literally mm-hmm. how to go into- Into surgery. Surgery. Yeah. yeah. And do guided release. We hold the babies yeah. that are ready for release, that need release, which is not that many. Well, yeah. <laughs> well that answered Kashia's question earlier yeah. of how many babies, once they've gone through this approach or a different approach or understanding- the full spectrum of what's going on or could potentially be going on hardly ever need a release yeah that's what I'm hearing right yeah I I mean honestly I would just love to remind all the women that are listening to this all the mothers that are listening to this there's an internal calibration that Mm -hmm. you have when Mm -hmm. someone speaks something over you right so someone gives you a diagnosis some people consider that like an incantation of some sorts right they're they're speaking words over you yeah and you have the choice to accept that or to calibrate to something else in in your surroundings, and um, the yeah, this it isn't it feels emergent when that is coming on when that um, diagnosis is given to you, but you also have the choice to change your narrative. Mm-hmm. You don't have to accept the narrative that all of these whoever these people are all of these people are giving to you, whether it's in birth. Or, you know, whether it's in your infant's young life or whenever your teenager is dealing with a diagnosis, whatever, you get to calibrate um, to yeah, how you want to be with that information. Mm-hmm. You still get to choose. So um, I know we can always like, vill- we like to villainize uh, our providers or whoever we're choosing based on what they're saying and yeah. um, kind of create that drama in our lives. But um, it's not about them. It's, not it's about, about them. us. Yeah. You know, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, it's information, not good, bad, right, or wrong. Mm -hmm. You get to decide what you're going to do with it. And then the parent power is always the same. Resource your child, create movement in the child, create movement in your own body, calibrate that movement together, get somebody who understands how to open posture at the breast so the child can breathe and focus on feeding, and then do a functional exam before, do a functional exam however long later. You might need an 
a short-term, mid-term, and long-range feeding plan. So you might need a short-term plan to at least get the movement installed and all the things happening. And then you might go to this feeding plan, the more the child opens up, and a, and, and a qualified practitioner is going to evaluate orally what's happening with every step of the way. And then you, you know you can always go get a release. Mm. So are we missing something? Are we missing something with um? Because I actually believed that this was like a relatively new thing happening to babies, but then um, a, a midwife who I know who's much older said that they used to just back in the day cut this stuff right. before the parents even really knew about it, which well, is yeah, which is in like beyond me. And um, but we, then we actually about that. There's a lot of power in not making something a huge deal yeah like what if we had a baby that was presented to us and we just we noticed that there was restriction and the body seemed open and there was tightness in the frenums and we just snipped it and we moved on like what would that create Mm. yeah would there be a different potential healing outcome based on yeah the drama surrounding the entire scenario and the regulation of the mom baby diet it could be a totally different story Mm. yeah because the power of language right? is when you take that out of context and you make a diagnosis and then you put the diagnosis over here and you create a language of urgency and desperacy and uncertainty, and you don't return the power back to the parents, then it feels very, it it feels very out of context. It feels very confusing. Mm. So language really does matter. Mm. So is there anything that's actually causing this to be to happen in the first like what's actually causing it because a lot of people who are more nutrition um, dietetics focused will say that it's you know all these ties and stuff are caused by synthetic like yeah and you know a bunch of other things like does that add up for you guys or is it something that we're really just missing that's not really being addressed that question presumes that if we did the thing we thought was wrong, that this problem would stop. But this has been with us for since the beginning. Since the beginning, let's say. Okay, earliest records are that Moses. you know in 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 um, sacred and ancient texts we have evidence that this was this existed since you know let's call it the beginning of humans. I don't know. Mm. I'm just going there. <laughs> What we're saying is that if we're preventive, we can stop it. If we figure out what's wrong and we fix it, then it'll stop. But history doesn't indicate that, right? So when we start talking about things like, oh, it's MTFJFAR and it's it's deficiencies and it's this and this and this, probably and, 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 and. Mm-hmm. You'll never hear me say or. Because I hold as many possibilities in the same capacity at one time as I can, because you know why? It gives me more possibility when I do that. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that it's MTHFR. It's possible that it's it's toxins. It's possible that it's birth trauma. trauma. Mm -hmm. It's possible... Mm -hmm. That it's folic acid. Thank you. Give me another one. Name all. So if we can say, if we say that it's probably all of those things, which I can totally understand and I totally can take that on board as a hell yeah. But did we do things differently 
that can that just cancels out the midwife just going ahead and doing it without you without you even knowing or did we treat our babies differently previously like all, like, all these babies were born with tongue ties lip ties mouth ties yeah, and they survived they were fine like breastfeeding was the only option and they seem to have you know perfect jaws like let's talk indigenous for a second perfect jaws perfect everything is it because we put them in carriers is it because we put them in car seats is it because we put them in these little weird cushion pillows that we don't go outside like is this a factor like what's going on there throw you an anomaly my fourth born born at home in the call tied to the tip i didn't know he was tongue-tied until he was in his teens and he came in one night after doing algebra homework and sat beside me and laid back in my lap and started talking to me about something. And I was like, you're tied to the tip. Holy cow. I had breastfed him for two years. He had no malocclusion. He was beautiful. His posture was amazing. He's an anomaly, but is he? I don't know. You know, but, but all the things they say that happens when somebody's fully tongue-tied, that was not his case. Not the kid laying in my lap looking up at me. With, it was just beautiful. And tied, so, just for those listening, tied to the tip is like when you get that love heart shape in the tongue. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I would just highlight too, Michelle lived, the way she mothered and raised her children was really outside of, it was very Indigenous very out of the norm yeah outside of the normal societal pieces and I think when you're bringing up the indigenous piece it's huge it's like we don't have the village support Mm -hmm. it is birthing a baby now it is different who gets to like hold your baby right after Mm -hmm. after they come out like after they emerge it's different who gets to love on them how they carry them Mm -hmm. all of that has completely changed and then you can go into the energetic pieces of like yeah we're never outside and yeah, we, the husbands do leave the house and the moms have to like carry everything. And then mm-hmm. we create life with that energetic, right? So it's like that perpetuates continually. And if we do bring back the indigenous pieces, like what are the threads you want to pull through? Mm. That's a question for mom. Like what threads do you want to pull through from the way that humans used to live? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's a given that we are a mismatch for our environment now. So the question becomes... From an ecological perspective, what corrections want to be made in order to help us match to our environment so that we can be fully expressed epigenetically and fully expressed gen- genetically um, human and fully fully human, right? So that once again, looking at all the possibilities of why this is happening puts me in a in a move away from strategy. But if I turn around and say, you know what, I'm gonna do, like. This was third. This was thirty years ago. I'm cooking on a wood stove, wood heating my home, ordering organic food in bulk, feeding you know my freezer with with local grass fed beef and having salmon shipped in from Alaska. And your kids lived outside. Yeah, we yeah. lived out, and they lived outside. And sounds I kept like the house my dream life, by the way. <laughs> sounds like what I'm pretty much. I'm almost there. Play. I'm almost there. It's just the wood stove thing. Hardly <laughs> created my childhood. Mm. A dad that and fished we had an acre garden my mom canned it we lived in a house that did not have heat or air and and in the winter we had fires and in the summer we sweated and we did not acclimate to comfort it wasn't a thing and I recreated that for my kids 
Mm. I feel like, um, Michelle, what you're saying, like a lot of what you're saying is just kind of leading to recalibrating the nervous system. And then if we can recalibrate the nervous system of like the organism that is a family and then the mother and then the child, it frees up a lot of that tissue and a lot of the function. So I just to bring that all together, it feels like a really big piece in this whole discussion that we're just trying to... I'll just add this, that a lot of that doesn't have to be done in a Western mindset. It can be done from who you are as a human. Who I am as a human is very foundational. It's very basic. It's very traditional. That's my whole, like, that. that's what flows out of my cells. It's who I am as a person. And so I'm very sure about that. And, and I just, and this is one of the reasons we're doing the, the containers that we do, the communities that we do is because we want to help and assist parents to fully express who they are and where they are here now on the planet so that they can see their children thrive. They're not just constantly trying to fix their children so that they can shift out of an outsourcing mentality and dig way into resourcing so that the plant with complicated emotions naturally regulates their nervous system, naturally integrates their reflexes, naturally does all these things that all these providers are willing to do for you and take your money for. Mm. There's a natural way to do that. Kids are no longer climbing the walls and you know, like climbing, doing scary things safely, right? They're, they're not doing that anymore. But, they're, but more and more, we're seeing parents who are willing to take a throwback and reach back into the ancient and pull it forward and make it work for them because it worked for millennia. Mm. And when I first went through everything with Michelle, I was shocked at how simple all of it really is. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people are overthinking everything. And in this day and age, we have access to so much information. So you can like Google one thing and it's like, it takes you down a rabbit hole for three hours. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, they didn't have that. They Mm -hmm. had their aunties or their sisters or whoever being like, oh yeah, my baby did that too. Like it's Mm -hmm. normal. Mm -hmm. But when we go back to like this world, like what I'm always reminded of is the simplicity of how to just like be and live. It's not that complicated. It's really not. And we like, I mean, it's no different to being like, you know, we should just go to sleep when the sun isn't out anymore. It just makes a lot of sense. Maybe we shouldn't yeah. be awake all night, but it has to be like scientifically proven to, to get to just yeah. be like, hey, you know what? In summer, maybe we should like what's growing in the garden as opposed to like, what am I shipping in or like, It's the simple things and it's always like when we really break it down, like this is the answer. Mm. It's not groundbreaking or anything. (laughs) It's not. And it's it's actually very disturbing in the simplicity of it because how can that possibly, you know, when we take away all the complexity, how can that possibly sustain us? And I'm here to tell you very well because even before I knew about, you know, circadian rhythms, let's say, the house that I lived in where we had a wood stove in the kitchen, I had oil lamps that I lit at night instead of lights. Mm. lights. We did not use overhead lights. This is the model. Hello. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Amish. I'm not playing. 
You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? <laughs> but it could but help what, anyone. What I saw in my children was calm and beautiful. My kids slept. Mm. They slept. They didn't have a TV till my oldest was 16. They worked outside. They drove tractors and all kinds of stuff, right? We 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 unschooled and ate, I fed them like racehorses and we worked together as a family and did all of those things before it was cool now. You know, I my kids of the the shutdowns and I'm like, you guys got this? And I'm like, we're good. We're good. We don't need, we good, mom. Thank, no, thank you now. They hated me then, but they're like, thank you. Thank you, mom. We love you. Oh, it's so true. How, how ridiculously simple it is mm. that that actually produces the the greatest um feedback and results Mm, gotta exit exit the matrix and Mm. just take your shoes off and go out in the sun I mean who'd have thought that it was just that simple (laughs) can I ask one we might have time for more but um one more question when you do see um a baby that has a pretty strong tie wherever that is in their mouth and is struggling to feed and um yeah, and, you know, mum's stressed, dad's stressed, baby's stressed out. Say we've got a family in that position, what would be your first point of call and when do you call it to to go and get a release? The first thing I do is I don't call it a tie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Language. Language. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not a tie. No. There's a just there's distress. <laughs> the baby's crying a lot. Baby's hungry. What? So here's what I say is I'm like, this is tight. This is restricted. This, this, you it's know, short. it's short. Look, this isn't moving in the places that we want it to move. Here's what we're going to do to get things moving. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to reevaluate because in my world, clinically, I have, I write notes that have that reflect a functional deficit i identify it because that is what we're correcting not the frenulum we're correcting the deficit of function and when you identify it properly and correctly you're correcting the movement it's not about the appearance it's about the movement So when you focus on things that actually can be habilitated and looked at and engaged with in a calm way, it completely changes Mm -hmm. the vibe and tone. So the first thing we do is we don't call it a tie. And that doesn't mean it's not being diagnosed. It means that we're loving these people mm-hmm. to keep them calm and also giving them the next thing. Cause they could go to any dentist down the street and somebody will tell them it's a tie. Mm-hmm. Right. And to, to piggyback off what Michelle is saying, another thing that we have integrated into our work based on what Michelle teaches is assessing whether what's happening orally is a reason or a response. Right. So is the is the appearance, the structure, the tightness, the tautness, whatever in the mouth causing your symptoms or is it a response to what's happening in the body or environmentally? Right. So those are like all the things you get to pick through. Is it causing it or can we just correlate it? And that's where like we like to we like to work together, because if I've identified a functional deficit and the way that a breastfed baby is sucking, 
I want to make sure that Molly has also seen that baby's body because if the baby's like this and they're sucking funky and they appear to have a short frenum, I think if we can figure this out <laughs> and get them loose thinner, something, you're going to see a little bit of a difference in the mouth. So what we do is what Michelle calls sequencing, sequencing of care. So we, we try to identify where, like Molly was saying, like, where is the issue originating from? Is it truly because the frenum is what's causing the problem or is it because the baby had a traumatic birth and they're like this and their body needs to be a little bit unwound. And then once their body's unwound and able to move, then they can move their head and their neck and their tongue and their jaw and all of that. Um, but we try to like sequence it to the point of like, if I was working with a baby, I, I don't like to send them for release until Molly or Michelle has seen that baby and checked their bodies and make made sure there's nothing remaining. But if we get to a point where we've been working with the baby, we're seeing great changes in the baby's body, and yet there's still these symptoms, or say their symptoms are getting worse, or you've plateaued, and you're not getting quite where you need to be, that's kind of where we, we determine, okay, would there be a benefit to releasing this tissue because we've done everything that we can along the way, and we're not quite right where we need to be. And at that tipping point too, is when we go in and assess, like, what are the families, what's the family's paradigm yes. for life in general? What's their belief system? What is their belief system? Do, are they full on medical system? Yeah. Okay. Like we can get behind this. If this yeah. is remaining and this is how you want to go for it, like, let us support you hundred percent in this because your belief in that is important. It's yeah. important. Yeah. And that's what you believe in. And so if you're totally anti-pronectomy, we're not going to even offer that right. as a yeah. suggestion. <laughs> Until yeah. you can't do it on your own if that's where we had to go with it, right? And even we've had so many moms that are like, oh, somebody told me that my baby needed a release and it was a no for me. Kind yeah. of like you said with like, like the tonsils. Yeah. Whole like, lot of no. If it's a no, we honor that and then we'll work with them. And, you know, maybe the baby gets to the 80%. Maybe they get 80% improvement and the family's okay with that. Like, they're like, I know that I will do anything it takes except a phrenectomy. So we'll get them as far as they can. And yet if we have another family who's like, I want to do this as holistic as possible, but I'm open to having a procedure if needed, it's it's going to go different with both families. Mm, that's so important. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely incredible and something that so many practitioners could definitely take on board. Um, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who have gone down the path and I'm one of those people who did that out of, you know, feeling just dire and desperate and needing to see or wanting to re relieve my child a little bit. But no, like I know that I, I, sh I wish I didn't do that. Um, and I know there's probably a lot of parents who feel the same way, like coming to know that there's a different side to it. Like they just feel like, a bit of regret or a little bit sad that they did that to their child. Um, should they or could they do something to support what has happened to the child? Because obviously they've just the whole cut and snip mm -hmm. approach. Um, and, and, you know, Michelle, your experience of that being a complete collapse of so much, maybe it's not as obvious as a to a child that there has been a collapse or there is like a bigger problem behind but you know, behind closed doors, what can we do to kind of support that perhaps 
invisible problem that it may have created. You want to go with that? Sure. I, you know, firstly, I was going to say to this, uh, to this prompt, that is an invitation. Your decision is an invitation mm-hmm. into deepening your intuition. If that's what needs to happen, deep, like whatever, whatever road your decision led you down, it's an invitation to take that and, and evolve and grow from that. Right. Um, and there are also a lot of things that you can do for your kids. So you're not helpless. You're not, you know, you're not in this, um, in this space where there's like, you did something wrong. You get to decide how you want to take that scenario. And then you get to move towards what else you want. If that's, if there's something else that you want. And, um, I think we've, we've just hit on it like many times, but I will talk about it again is like resourcing your child and your family is going to be the number one thing we always suggest to take you out of any type of fight or flight situation, hind brain, blaring the alarm bells. Oh shit. I did this. Oops. Sorry. I don't know if we can cuss. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. We swear a lot. <laughs> I did this to my kid. Now what do I do? Like all the shame, guilt, all the mom yeah. layer, mom yeah. layer things. It's like resource yourself now mm-hmm. and then get still and quiet. And then from there, decide as a unit, as, as a family unit, as a, as a mother, however you need to decide, but decide like, where are you going? What are you looking towards? Okay, so we did this in the past and I can take this and I can and I can be here in the present with this, but what am I looking towards? What else do you want? And always mm. remembering, because I brought up earlier that moms always have so much guilt, you know? I always tell moms, you did the best you could with the information mm-hmm. and support that you had at that time. Mm-hmm. So you can always play the game of like, oh, if if I would have just known about you guys, or if I would have just done this, or I would have just done that, that's not the reality of what happened. So the reality was you took the information that was given to you. You are a mom, you know, what's best for your child. And you took that information and everything that was presented, you made the best decision that you could at that time. Mm. And that's what I always try to remind people of is like, like Molly said, like you can move forward from that, but don't beat up yourself about Mm. it because you're a good mom, no matter what, like you're a good mom, you're doing what's best for your child and what you believe to be best. And your choices you're going to make for your children are going to change all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to change your mind. Yeah. I think we just, yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. you know, it's okay to like pivot. If something doesn't resonate anymore, like I'm going to go the other way. Great. Well, you know, that's the thing too, that I always say is, you know, in the West and Western thinking, especially with the enculturation of um, school, is that there can only be one answer. There can only be one correct answer. And that's not true. There can be multiple options. And. And. And we can say and. Or. Or but. But, you know, along the lines of forgiveness, you know, I went through that in my own journey, too, of forgiving myself for doing this to myself. Mm. I crawled out of that hospital 11 days later and couldn't stand up straight and spent the next three months with drains and had three surgeries and 13 holes in my abdomen and lost 25 pounds and didn't recognize myself. I was alone beginning again and had to build it all back and offer major, major forgiveness for myself. And so a lot of the approach that we take is what I learned about coming back from the dead you know, it's like, this is the way to rebuild. Mm. I think it's a good reminder too for everyone that no matter what we've faced, 
the body has such an incredible capacity to heal. And that goes for our children. It goes for our family units. It goes for f- absolutely yeah. everything. So we're so wise. We're so I'm okay. Our <laughs> <laughs> bodies are so wise, and we are so intelligent, but we are so disconnected from mm. it. Such a common theme. <laughs> that is the thing. It's the return, and this is what the Western allopathic system has done. It's it's disconnected us from ourselves, and so now we're helpless. We think we're helpless, like we don't know, mm. but we really do. We really do know. It's just that we don't trust ourselves to know, and like even the whole field of of, of obstetrics has separated a mom's wisdom from herself mm. and her ability to make decisions from herself for the sake of quote safety mm-hmm. so that you don't do any harm mm. but it's not true that's not true I, I i i free well free birth i didn't free birth i i natural birthed in multiple different you know uh ways um, my first two were almost unassisted in the hospital the third was at home the fourth was at a midwife and the fifth one we broke into a hospital I mean, I mean, you know, just like whatever, whatever it was that we needed to do, we did it. And I natural birthed all five of them in various types of situations. And then, of course, watched Molly, you know, um, do her thing with Kua. Um, and so we are wise. We are intelligent. We have our answers inside. We just don't trust it anymore. Mm. Definitely. And it's definitely something that we talk about a lot. We, we share a lot of free birth um, stories and they're definitely, there's definitely a common theme of just really coming back to what we innately know and having to trust that. And yeah, it's, yeah, that, it's a journey home. <laughs> well, that self-responsibility that it yeah. takes to go on the journey of free birth, even the idea. You know, yeah. Yeah. Especially as a number, like your first baby, even that idea what does that bring up in you? And that's the same thing that's going to be brought up whenever your baby faces a love and don't die or mm-hmm. have breast Like all of that, that whole scenario is the same. Um, innate, yeah, that you, you need to trust in that um, and, that's and take one, back the response. That's one of the things we do in the course too is we're like, congratulations, you've got your first opportunity to yeah. learn the process of trusting yourself and asking intelligent questions. We're happy you're here. We're happy you're here. <laughs> Welcome, you know, because just like you experienced with your child, the quote, uh, you know, most of the mainstream would like it to go, oh, well, they had undiagnosed ties. So now they've got tonsils and adenoids and all that. Those two things can be completely unrelated. They mm. can be. Yeah. 100%. And what happens is now you've got that and the next thing's going to be an early interceptive orthodontic appliance and then myofunctional therapy and then integrating reflexes and then the body piece and then and then and then and then and then when's it going to stop when's it going when's that child going to be perfect and whole Mm -hmm. and and taught to trust their own intelligence and learn about their body and what it means to be um, in, in, full, in a, in a full expression, full expression yeah. and completely thriving, you know, when do we get there? And so what we've done is we've, we've backed it up and said, no, we start now. We start now with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Wait, we do this now. And then you go make decisions about where you need outsourced help. And everybody's decision tree is going to be, it's going to be different. That's what we love is like, mm-hmm. we work with so many different moms across so many different spectrums. And 
we try to start and then let them follow their own path. Mm -hmm. Guys, your work is incredible. This Um, has been amazing. (laughs) I'm sure so many people will have listened to this and just be like, I knew it. (laughs) I knew there was something. I want them to take the breath and just be still with themselves and trust and love themselves and know that they have the intelligence and the wisdom already within them and not overwhelm themselves with information and not shut themselves down. If they're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and chatting with us. And you've got so much beautiful knowledge. I feel like this work is so important, even though it's so simple. (laughs) Where can our (laughs) listeners find you guys if they need to delve more into this? Yeah. Everybody go and do the course. (laughs) Yeah. Please share. That is on Instagram, Midland Revolution. Yeah, Midland Revolution on Instagram. We don't we don't answer questions via email, so yeah. we don't coach and give tips and tricks and all that stuff. And diagnose. And diagnose, <laughs> no. But you can find us on Instagram. You can do the course. You can come into the community. We on have we Tuesday. have two courses. Well, we have two courses. So we have the yeah. Evolution of Lip and Tongue Tie. That's the flagship course, and that's where um, you're going to get information about this entire season, the lip and tongue tie season that moms mm-hmm. are in. Um, and you're going to be able to get information on how to move your baby, how to breastfeed mm-hmm. uh, a functionally um, deficit baby. And then the, we have another course, the breastfeeding course, which slows everything way down. It's a drip course over five weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, that is for moms that aren't, are trying to take themselves out of the emergent situation and really want to just connect with their baby. Create and, connection. And, and create connection. Um, seek answers internally instead of outsourcing so we have those two courses and then tuesday um on october 22nd or 24th i don't Mm -hmm. know when this is gonna be released um probably in about six weeks okay Okay. yeah we won't even mention that okay (laughs) i was gonna say we could actually do a little shout out but we could still do that yeah I don't even I don't even know what date it is to be completely <laughs> fair. I'm like October 24. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Next Tuesday, but are you doing a day ahead of us? Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Friday it's for Friday. us. Yeah. Okay. So fun. Yeah, that is fun. You're in the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's well, really fun when I've got to organize the Calendly links. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I can't even do daylight savings time. Oh, well, she's in, we're in different time zones at the moment because she's daylight savings and I'm just up the road, which is not. And so (laughs) my brain, I'm like, I I can't function like this. (laughs) Um, But anyway, thank you guys so much for the time. Were to say anything on the 24th, the 24th (laughs) in America. (laughs) 25th for us then. Yep. We're doing a webinar. It's a two-hour webinar that kind of dives deep into what each of our courses offer. We're going to do some breastfeeding um, positions like live, and then we're going to do movement positions live, and then we're going to have a QA. and a because a lot of people just have mm-hmm. questions on yep. what the course is. So it's just a two-hour webinar if anyone wants to join. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah we, we can definitely, do definitely that. share that on our um on our Instagram and yeah, get the word out because I feel like that's just information that everyone should hold, whether you've yeah. had tongue ties or not. Sorry, restrictions <laughs> or not. Oh, <laughs> I'm oh. gonna hit her. I'll slap her later. <laughs> <laughs> restrictions, restrictions. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Have a beautiful evening. We'll chat soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. 
to join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.